Heavenly Father, we just thank You for this time. We pray that Your Holy Spirit, Father, would just fall upon us, Father, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what Your Spirit would say to us. Father, we want to take this time and give it over to You, dedicate it to You. We just ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, a week after the resurrection of Christ uh, from our perspective. That's what we celebrated last week. And we used one of the texts from Luke chapter 7 where Jesus just raised a man from the dead. And the power of Christ that can be unleashed in our lives, that can uh, awaken us, change the things that are around us. And, And that's what any of us would want to, to, to realize the world is dead and stale and miserable and that we can start to have life and that we don't have to follow the path of death, but there's a river of life flowing from Christ. And so if you would, it, that, that report, it says, verse 17, where we're picking up, <coughs> it says, "...in this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region." So everyone's getting the message. Jesus can raise people from the dead. You can hear the grapevine just ripping and everybody's hearing about this Jesus. He's being popular. It's a a major miracle that happened as this guy was walking, uh, being dragged out in his coffin out of the city gate. There was one entourage of Jesus with the other entourage of the mourners meeting there in the middle and Jesus performs this miracle and, and the rumors are spreading like wildfire. And it went so far, it says, that the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, not John the Apostle, the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. So John is sitting down there, and it tells us if uh, we were earlier in the text in chapter 3, we heard all about John the Baptist. He was a powerful man of God. He stood there, and he's the wild guy out there baptizing everybody, telling them all to repent or burn He was the one that's screaming like a prophet, if you would, with his camel hair jacket, which is uncomfortable. He's eating locusts and wild honey, which is disgusting and diet, I guess. But he's a man that was just cut out to be a a radical man. And he was the one that, as Jesus was coming out to be baptized, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He was the mouthpiece, the one that was crying in the wilderness that showed Jesus as the Messiah. So I suppose after his big day of introducing Jesus to the world, I I, I guess John's ministry kind of was a little wandering on what to do and he got involved in the political process as we heard in chapter 3. Started mouthing off about... Herod and Herodias and Philip and how they were passing this woman around and from brother to brother and she was married and John seemed to stick his nose into the political scene and said, this is an injustice and this is wrong. And it says that they took John and threw him in prison and said, shut up, we don't want to hear that. Stay out of politics. You go out there in the wilderness and scream as much as you want, but don't mess with Herod, the Caesar, the Roman Empire. And there he sits in jail, hearing about the good old Jesus. And so he hears now that Jesus raised someone from the dead. The disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus. So John says, hey, you two guys, as he's in jail, 
You go talk to Jesus. And now he asks the difficult question. He says, are you the coming one? Or do we need to look for someone else? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, excuse me, Jesus, aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? Aren't you this coming Messiah that we thought you were? Or did we make a mistake? Or do we go look for someone else? Do we go look for another? And Jesus, I suppose, hearing that, he goes out at that very hour, he takes that question And I don't know, almost just for spite almost, he cured many of their infirmities, their afflictions and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and he said to them, he goes, you go tell that to John. The things you have seen and heard that the blind see, that the lame walk, that the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them, And so you can almost hear Jesus. He's turning around and he's making a bold statement. And he says, what do you mean if I'm the Messiah or not? Here's the proof of the Messiah. I'm performing miracles. The wonderful things are happening. And I I know Jesus is, is above the response. He's perfect. He's holy. He's blameless. But I wonder, you know, if it was me in that situation trying to be in the ministry, trying to take on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're arguing, they're fighting, and you could just see poor Jesus out there. And trust me, I realize he's the Son of God and must not have suffered this attitude. But you could just see him out there saying, I'm taking on the world, I'm taking on the devil, I'm taking on sickness, I'm doing everything, and I'm executing it flawlessly. And you can almost hear him say, now I got my cousin... And we realize that John was a relative of Jesus. He was born miraculously, just as Jesus, within a certain sense of Gabriel, announced to him, to Zechariah, that they're going to have a child and that he would be raised as a Nazarite and he was set aside. And you can almost hear Jesus saying, Ah, come on, John. And you can almost hear John saying, Wait a second. I don't think you're the Messiah, Jesus. And notice what he's saying. He's saying, because you know why? I'm still stuck in jail. And you know what? If my cousin was the Messiah, if Jesus is the Messiah and I herald him to be something great, isn't there something wrong with the program? I'm stuck in jail. Now, this can't be right. And if you would, John heard that the dead was raised. But he goes, I'm sorry, That doesn't mean anything to me. What matters to me is my situation. And instead of maybe admitting he overstepped his boundaries, instead of maybe realizing that his set of circumstances was based upon him, he has to turn around and he blames the Lord. And he says, my life stinks. I thought it would be something better when, you know, I could understand the suffering before announcing Jesus as the Messiah, but I kind of thought that once we announced Jesus and declared Him to be the Lord, maybe the gravy train might start pulling into town. And he's asking a serious question, and he's saying, are you sure you're the Messiah? You can see that doubt. You can see John the Baptist breaking down. He's wavering 
in his commitment as Jesus is Lord. He's doubting. And he's saying, did, did I make a mistake? And for Jesus, Jesus is saying, man, I'm out here just taking on the forces of darkness. I'm doing all these wonderful things. You know, and I could expect Herod. I could expect the Pharisees. I could expect certain people to be upset at me. Maybe they're jealous. They're insecure. And he's kind of just going, oh, come on, John, not you. Not you. You're not going to let me down. You're not having doubts and wondering. And, and, and in a sense, he's, he's looking at this and he says, oh, come on. And he makes a powerful statement here. He turns around and he says in verse 23, And blessed, happy, is he who is not offended because of me. And I find that to be interesting that Jesus understands you and I sometimes as we do falter. We can have our doubts. And he's saying, you know, but blessed are you if you're not going to have those doubts over me. Now, following Christ, giving your life to Christ is one of the hardest things you will ever do with your life. When you stand up for Christ and you start to proclaim the truth and start to pry people away from sin, you will find the power of sin start to fight back. And Jesus is saying, you've got to hold that line and don't be offended. Uh, that's such a word, to be offended. You hear everybody runs around, you offended me, you offended me, you offended me. I can't believe you did that. That offends me and I'm not going to be your friend anymore. I'm not going to be around you anymore. That offended me. And I, and I suppose the insanity of us, you and I turning around and saying, Lord, you offended me. God, you offended me. God's God. Part of the definition is he can do whatever he pleases. <laughs> Sometimes it comes at the expense of you and I and some of the things that we want. And almost sometimes you have to turn around and God is saying, I'm running the universe here. Things are not going to go according to plan. And there has to be an opportunity sometime in your life to take your lumps. And so few of us really like the part of Christianity where we take the lumps. Uh, there's this prosperity of everything's got to be fine. Just give your life to Jesus and, you know, throw some money at him and he'll throw you a whole bunch back and every Christian should be rich and happy. Well, the reality is, is it just doesn't seem to work that way when the world is full of the enemy. The world is full of taking risks. And sometimes, believe it or not, there are mistakes that you and I make. Sometimes we've got to suffer for those mistakes. Now, it's a debatable point, and I, I really don't know how to take this, and I don't want to imply that maybe John was wrong for rebuking Herod and getting involved in politics. I, I don't know. You could argue that he overstepped his boundaries. He was called to be a prophet of God, and he should have stuck in the God arena. But he decided to stick his neck where it didn't belong. That's a valid argument. It's also a valid argument that maybe he was doing what was right and every believer should stand up against the injustices of this world. And as he did that, he has to sometimes bear the penalty of that. So it's hard. It's difficult. John is out there and Jesus is understanding the situation in one sense and he says, Oh, come on, John, not you. 
And on the other hand, he's also saying, but blessed are you. And I, under, I, I read that there's some understanding in Jesus that says, blessed is he who keeps from, from being offended because of me. And a lot of us have a hard time following Christ because it leads us to a very difficult impasse in our lives that we really have to say, Lord, if I have to suffer, then I shall suffer for the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 6 was saying, blessed are those that are poor. Blessed are those that suffer for the kingdom of God. And, and, and we look at this and Jesus is seeing the very same thing. And he's saying, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Things don't go the way that you want them to in your life. And I, and I think it's interesting that John is, is breaking down. He's deviating from the course, if you would. Uh, Chris just did a whole beautiful song on being broken. And we are to be broken before the Lord. That means we surrender our will and our wants. Uh, there's a, a difference, though, from being broken and breaking down. It's, a, it's an error on our part to break down or break away from the things of God. It's never excusable. But yet, we always do. We always break away from the things God has called us. And we walk away from Christ, even if it's in our heart, if it's in our mind, or if it's for three years of our life, or for ten years, there's a lot of people that walk away from Christ for a season. <clears throat> and, and, and to break away from the things of God. But hopefully, when things happen in your life and you break away, you can see your failures and you repent in your heart and then you break down before the Lord and you're broken so that you're able to say, Lord, I failed. I haven't kept the things that you've asked me to do. I'm a miserable wreck. <coughs> Lord, help me. And that's being broken before the Lord, not just breaking away. And, and, and God uses our breaking away in order to make us broken, our failures. <clears throat> and I like this. Jesus then comes with, I think, some of his insight. And I don't think Jesus is a human like me that turned around and was disappointed in John. I think he's recognizing that there's a, a breaking away of John. And he's going to turn around and he's now going to start to defend John. And he says, he says, when the messengers of John departed, so they go back, they tell, you know, John, go give him this message. He now, he says, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. So they go back. You can see a little bit of disappointed. And Jesus is now going to come to his defense, if you would. And I love these statements. He goes, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? <clears throat> he says, what were you looking at? When, when you went to go see John the Baptist, what were you looking for? He says, a reed shaken by the wind. And if you like that, I like that picture of a little reed. You know, the wind comes in and it's going, right? It's, it's wavering all over the place. And he goes, did you go see a reed shaken by the wind? He goes, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Did, did you think he was going to be some businessman all dressed in a three-piece suit? No, we were expecting to go see the voice of a prophet. Not some soft guy, not some sissy. We wanted to go see a real man of God, a, a tough guy, this guy John. He says, indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in, a, in, in luxury are in king's courts. 
But what did you go out to see? That's not who John was. Oh, you went out to go see a prophet. Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, that's any human being, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So yeah, he's saying John was a great guy. And, and maybe there's that sense of remorse in Jesus. And maybe he's looking at this and he's saying, wow, you know, I know it's hard, but he's human. He, out of everyone born all time, this guy John won Jesus' heart because he was. He stood up and he boldly proclaimed the, the word of God. He was a prophet. And, and he's the last of the Old Testament prophets, if you would, of that fire and brimstone. Stand in the king's face, stand up and rebuke the people and, and, and tell them all the way that it is. And as he's doing this, he's saying, yeah, he, this guy's great, but it's not what the kingdom of God is about. It's not anything that anybody in the least of the kingdom can do better. And obviously you're going to start to see that Jesus is going to start to make a distinction between him and John. The least in the kingdom, anybody from the kingdom of heaven. How about even Jesus is from the kingdom of heaven? And he's going to sit down and says, as much as John wavered, Jesus, and this is going to be the heart of the message, Jesus does not waver. Jesus never wavers. Jesus is the constant. And, and if you got the greatest guy that ever lived and he failed, well then, you know, any of us can fail, but Jesus is always going to be faithful. And so you're watching these things that are happening where the proof, and, and, and sometimes it's interesting when you do hear a prophet. I, I like this. Uh, there's the office, I guess, sometime of prophecy in the Old Testament. There's the gift of being a prophet in the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament version is that a priest would, would stand before God. And a priest would be there to say, God, I'm representing all the people. There's a hundred people behind me. And the priest would say, these people are making sacrifices. They're cleansing me so that when I now stand before God... The priest then speaks to God representing all the people. Well, that's taking that voice of the people, sending it up to the Lord. The prophet is the other direction. He takes and listens to God, and then he comes back and says to the people, and he says, this is what God has said. And he's now sitting down there speaking for the Lord. And we sometimes, as prophecy goes forward in the church as a gift, as we look at the office of in position or gift of prophecy, sometimes it, 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 it's, it's in, intimidating to realize that a prophet can speak. Thus says the Lord, this is God's plan for your life. Thus says the Lord, God sees that sin in your life and He wants you to change. Thus says the Lord, this is God, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Now, for you and I, and I don't particularly like to operate in the gift of prophecy too much, there's been a couple times that has happened, but there's been people in the church that are the quote-unquote prophet. 
And we have a tendency sometimes to hold them to a much higher level, like they have to be perfect. And so, oh, the prophet came up and told to me, this is what God says for me to do in my life. And then all of a sudden we have this expectation that the prophet has to be perfect in order for the prophecy to be true. And what you're seeing here is a prophet who's speaking truly the Word of God, and yet the prophet is wavering. And you have to sometimes say, people, we've got we to gotta understand that this is a world that we live in and nobody's going to be perfect other than Jesus. But that never nullifies that God can speak through people. God uses that gift in the New Testament. He used that gift in the Old Testament. And God will use certain people to speak His truth to you. And we cannot just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, you know, this guy came up to me and he told me, blah, 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 blah. And man, it was just the voice of the Lord. And da, 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 da. And I I heard that and I fell on my knees and, and God changed me because of what this guy said. Well, then I went around and I saw this guy turn around drunk in the bar. So God's false. Well, that guy's got a problem. He's not living up to what he should be. That's him. Let him stand before the Lord for that. But God can speak through anything, anywhere, in any way, shape, or form. And we have to be open to the voice of the Holy Spirit and to be able to know that the gift of prophecy still is exercised in our church, in our lives, and in the kingdom of God. So it's a powerful statement where you're going to see, yes, he had a message, the message was true. But you know what? He's not anybody that's pure from the kingdom. He's not an angel, he's a man. And so, you notice this is going to cause a problem. It says, verse 29, And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, who are still bad even today, tax collectors, right? He says, When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors, they justified God. They were able to hear this, John the Baptist, and they were able to say, What you're saying is right. So a tax collector could figure this out. Because they had... They had Uh, having been baptized with the baptism of John. There were certain people that went out and responded to John's message of repentance to prepare the way of our hearts for the kingdom of God. He says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers, they rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So there's two schools of people, if you would. There's people that heard the voice of God through John, And they reacted, and they could say what John was doing was right. And if he ended up in jail because of it, that still made him right. There's another group of people that said, well, we don't care what this guy says, and he's telling us to conform to God. We don't want that. And na, 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 na. See, he's in jail. He deserved it. And he turns around and he says, you know, people are so fickle, if you would. And I love this example, verse 31. And the Lord said... To what then shall I liken the men of this generation? Oh, the people that are around me. And what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another saying, Hey, we played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We mourned for you and you didn't weep. So you can say that, you know, Jesus is saying that people are so fickle. And I love this expression because people sit down there and say, we want you, Jesus, we want you, John, to be puppets on our string. We want you to do what we want you to do. 
And if we want you to be a happy God, then you should be a happy God. And if you're supposed to be the angry God that kills my enemies, then I want you to be the angry God that kills my enemies. And so we played the flute. Oh, happy little song. Now, why aren't you dancing? Oh, we played a mournful dirge for you. Why aren't you sad? And somehow or another, you and I, we fall into this generation that we expect God to dance to our beat. God, and it kills me when you hear people say that. Oh, my God's like this. The God I serve is like this. Like, if I could just fantasize what God would be like, oh, I'd want Him to be just the way that I have Him to be that makes everything that I do okay. And you have to turn around and say, excuse me, it doesn't work that way. Somebody over here says, the God I worship is red. Well, the other guy says, the God I worship is green. See, God's a green light. He's saying, go, go, go. Oh, God's a red light. He's stop, 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 you know. And so you can say, well, you have yours, you have yours. And the truth of the matter, well, God's God. He's someone, something. He's not red and green. Which is he? Well, he's yellow. I don't know. And God's like, how dare you say that I'm red? How dare you? Who, who are you to say who I am? God is who He is. And we must start to learn to study and start to ask the questions and to say, God, who are you? Not who do I make you out to be? Not who do I want you to be? Not God, I like it if you were like this. And a lot of people like to go through the Bible, pick their little favorite verses and says, oh, here's the mean God. And they can pick out every verse that says he's mean and they emphasize that. And the other people say, no, here's the happy, lovey, camp, you know, warm and fuzzy God. And we're going to just all memorize all those verses and that's my God. Well, the Bible says you go through the whole Bible and you read the whole thing and you put God together on who he reveals himself to be. And Jesus is trying to get that, to say, I'm sorry, I don't dance to your tune. John didn't dance to your tune. Jesus isn't going to dance to your tune. And who and what God is doesn't revolve around you. If you're going to create God the way that you want him, then I guess you're greater than God, and I guess that makes you God. That's an insane line of thinking. But this country today is just polluted with people that always come up with this concept of, well, my God's like this. And when we as Christians should be able to say, thus says the Lord, God revealed himself as this. Scripture says this and this and this. Like it or leave it. That's your call. And so they turned around and he says, you know, if you start to create this God of whatever you want, it says, he says, it's, it's darned if you do and darned if you don't. Listen to verse 33. He says, for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine. And you say, oh, he's got a demon. So John the Baptist was this really hardcore guy that was speaking, and yet so many people rejected his message. You know, he came out there just really just living out, selling out, you know, wasn't, you know, polluted by any, you know, uh, of the money or the corruption of the, of the political scene. He was dead set against it, and so many people rejected John. Well, there's the other school. It says the Son of Man, Jesus, has come. He's eating and drinking, and he's sitting back at this uh, 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 guy's house that uh, he healed and touched. And they're going, oh, you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so if you would, Jesus goes, I, I can't win. 
You know, you got hardcore in John the Baptist, and you guys reject that because you want soft and loving. I come over here just relaxed and show you the love of God, and you're going to throw me out the window because you're saying, well, if you're really hardcore, Jesus, you would come down hard on these people. And I love this. This is such a, a, a beautiful verse, 35. He says, but wisdom is justified by all her children. I love that. That wisdom, and it said in the New American Standard, that wisdom is vindicated by all her children. And I suppose that's saying that in time, that's the same way of saying you will know them by their fruits. That's the same way of saying that that in time you're going to see that things are born out of the statements that we made and you are going to find out where the truth is of life and where the misery is of your contempt. The truth of the matter is, is that so many people that want to kind of create God, that want to tell God what to do, those are the most miserable people. There's a misery index there. If we come to the point in our lives where we just accept God and say, God, this is who you are. I have to take my lumps. I have to sit down there and get through life. I stuck my neck out for you, Lord, and I may have to bear some consequences, but I know that you see my heart and you'll get me through this. You can see that there can be such a sense of peace and serenity in submitting yourself to God. If you're always trying to create God and God does something different than the way that you like it, there comes this vexing time in your life where you are filled with misery. And you are saying, I can't handle this. I don't like God. And there's something about the human being. When you start to fight with God, contend with God, you start to bear the weight of that. And you are the one that can't sleep at night. You are the one that has anger, animosity. You are the one that starts to be falling apart and unraveling at the seams. And there is such joy sometimes. It's better to take the suffering and to have the peace in your heart to know that I can have peace. A, 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 a submission to the Lord and the way that the Lord works. And yet this generation, as in Jesus' generation, seems to only want to combat, battle, contend with God. And I think God up in heaven says, I, I can't win. I can't win. Am I too nice? Am I too mean? We send John the Baptist. Verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. <clears throat> and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. She was just a sinner. Everybody knew that. When she saw that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Very expensive to be in an alabaster flask. It was an expensive process to put an oil, a fragrant, a perfume in. And she stood at, the, at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet, anointed him with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him in his own house saw this, he spoke to himself saying, Oh, this man, if he were a prophet, Oh, he would know who and what manner of woman this is. You're telling me that Jesus is spiritual when he's got this sinner, this sinner slobbering all over him? What kind of representative is that of God? If, if, 
If, if he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. Now, Jesus, it's interesting, he was thinking this, and Jesus turns around and starts to talk to him about what he's thinking. Maybe this guy had such a disgust look on his face. But Jesus answered and he said to him, Simon, and here's another Simon in the Bible, and uh, I went through a communion service a few weeks ago, and it was interesting that we said that Judas was the son of Simon. And we thought of Simon Peter, and I said that would be a real trick to see that Judas was Simon Peter's son. And I said that didn't really seem to wash out. There could be another Simon the Tanner who Judas Iscariot was. But notice, if you would, here's just another Simon. And you wonder if this was Judas's dad. <laughs> but I don't think so. But it's interesting. Another Simon. He said, Jesus answered and he said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, well, teacher, notice he respects him. Say it. I'm open to hear from you, as it would appear. He says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Denarii was an amount of money. Let's just say they usually equate it to a day's wages. And another owed 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay... He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Well, obviously, Simon answers, says, well, that's pretty obvious. You've got two guys, one owes 50, one owes 500. The debt's canceled. Who's going to be more thankful? Probably the guy with the bigger debt. I suppose the one whom he forgave more. That makes sense. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and he says, now let's put this into practical application. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? He goes, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so, if you would, there's a powerful truth that has to be portrayed here, that sometimes the depth of our love depends upon the depth of our understanding of the debt we are in before God. So many times in our lives we have a very casual approach to God and we can be open to criticizing God because in our hearts we feel that God really hasn't done that much for us. And when we start to look at, God, what have you done for me lately? And then we would be open to criticize God and say, well, I'm in jail. This doesn't seem to work. You're going to have a shallow relationship with God. This woman... Whoever she may be, we're not sure. There's debate on who she actually is. She turns around and she says, I know that I'm a sinner. The Pharisees know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm a wretched fool. I know that I have destroyed my life. And God, I see you as an answer to my uh, dilemma. I see that you as my deliverer. I see that there's only one hope left and it's you and only you. And if I have to humble myself, be broken and humiliate myself in front of the town, I will do it. I will cry. I will weep. I will kiss. I will do whatever I can. True love 
bears out that you have an understanding of the greatness of which God has done something in your life. The thing that deviates in the formula of how much it is is not how bad of a person you are. That's not the truth. The truth is is only how much you recognize how bad you are. Because Jesus would say all of us are bad, miserable wrecks of example of people. The greatest you got is John the Baptist. He just let me down. If that's the best the human race has got, every single one of us, we pale in comparison with our righteousness to John the Baptist. We should come to that recognition. Well, then I'm a complete, utter failure. And then if I'm a failure before God, I don't really have too much room to be picky. And if that's the situation, then I better accept what the Lord has given me. And then if I can accept that, then I should be thankful with my life. The true Christian is not the one that's going to be stumbling over Jesus. That doesn't seem to enter into our vocabulary. I'm glad that the Lord understands that I'm a man and I fail. But what should happen in our lives is to say, Lord, I'm coming from a thankful heart. And if I've been a prostitute, if I've been whatever this woman may have been, if if she was destroyed, then she can be made right by having in her an attitude of gratitude to say, Lord, then then I know that I can be standing before you confessing my sins and you're going to forgive me and that causes me to love you all the more. Did you see what happened? The further we break away from the Lord, the greater it leads us to be broken to the Lord. And sometimes... We have to all recognize that we, any one of us, is capable of deviating from what the Lord has called us to do. I'm sorry if you're human. You you have a tendency to look at yourself, introspect a little bit, and say, I don't deserve this. I, I think that I'm not going to suffer the way that God told me to suffer. We are crafty people, us human beings. And we love to create a reason to come up with anything we can so we don't have to follow God. And we want to have a foot in one world and a foot in the kingdom of God as well. And God is saying, don't do that. And if you do, recognize your broken state and you should be broken before the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your love. I need your mercy. And the truth of the matter is, is the more you cry out to God, the closer you come to God. The, the, the spiritual principle is, is if you are filled with pride, if you don't think you need God, that's the only thing that can eliminate God from your life. I don't need this. I don't need God. God's for sissies and weirdos. Right? Weak people need God in their life. I'm above that. That attitude is the only thing the only thing that can separate you from God. If you turn around and says, God, I've been an axe murderer, I've, I've, I've killed, I've maimed, I've, uh, you list the laundry list and you say, Lord, I'm a miserable failure because of these things. I need you in my life. Listen to that. That draws me closer to God. And so the thing of pride is, 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 is what 
separates you from the Lord. Pride cometh before the fall. And we turn around and says, Lord, then I want to get rid of that and I want to always be remembering that I'm able, uh, that, that I can, I'm capable of falling. But Lord, I want to stick to you as close as I possibly can. I want to live my life. I want to give as much as I possibly can to you, Lord, because you're it. You're all that I have. And I can surrender my life to you. And any life that is surrendered to the Lord will be a profitable life. And so he says, verse 48, he said to her, he said, uh, uh, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, well, who is this uh, who even forgives sins? Jesus, what are you saying that you're God? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And it took faith to step out into faith, to walk away from what she knew to be true, to accept the things of God and, and say, I'm going to believe that you're able to forgive me. And what I know to be true is that I'm a sinner. They call me a sinner. But it's going to take great faith to believe that God loves me in spite of that. I have to go the opposite direction in which I feel. And for you and I, it is the hardest thing we can ever do in our life is to say, Lord... This isn't comfortable. This isn't good. I don't like it. But I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to go against the grains of this world and I'm going to start to trust you. And that is how we draw closer to the Lord. It's a a brain enigma for us to be able to separate ourselves from those things. to, To be able to let loose. And the truth of the matter is the hardest thing you can do if John was such a rough, tough guy John the Baptist. He wasn't some little sissy shaking in the wind. He wasn't somebody dressed in fine clothing. That was He was the rough, tough guy. And the truth of the matter is the rough, tough guy turns around and does the hard thing. And sometimes the hard thing is to be able to say, I was wrong. I watched an old episode of Happy Days and they had this episode of Fonzie and Fonzie, Fonzie had to confess his sin. He, he gave, I don't know, Potsy or something, bad advice to join the army and he, blah, 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 blah. And Fonzie had to go up, to, I'm not even sure who it was. And you could hear the Fonz and he goes, I was, and he goes, okay, guy, I was, I was, it was so funny because he couldn't say that he was wrong. The Fonz. Until finally he had to choke it out. And so many of us, we think that we're the fawns. Well, we're just too cool, man. If I say that I was wrong, people are going to you know, think I'm an idiot and I can't be the fawns anymore. No, buddy. You know, we have to sometimes, and it's the hardest thing to sit down into a conversation, to be able to say, I was wrong. And the truth of the matter is, is that anybody who sees somebody do that, the truth is, I, I gain respect for somebody that can do the hard thing. I, as a human being, as maybe a pastor anyway, I lose respect for people that can't admit that they're wrong. And so many of us, we cling on to that. I don't want to admit I'm wrong. I don't want to admit I'm afraid. I don't want to admit I'm scared. I don't want people to think I'm just some sissy out there that's afraid. We have to turn around and to be able to say, I was wrong. And the more you say that, the more the Lord is attracted to you. How's that? the more the kingdom of God starts to operate in your life. The less you can say, I was wrong. Nobody likes a coward. 
And when we see someone that is wrong, we know that they're wrong and they can't admit it. The only thing you say is, then you're a coward. You're, you're not owning up to the responsibility that's in front of you. Everyone will follow somebody that will say, you're doing the tough thing, the hard thing. And I like this, just to go into a, just a few verses of chapter 8. And it says, and this is a strange verse, and it doesn't really work with next week's message, but we'll throw it in with this week, and it kind of works with what's happening. And an interesting verse. Now it came to pass afterwards that he went through every city and village, preaching and bringing about the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Good. And the twelve were with him. Try feeding all twelve. Try going through that. Who's paying for this? And it says, in certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So there's certain women are following Jesus as well. These people have been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. One's called Mary Magdalene. And we know that out of her whom had came seven demons. So Mary Magdalene was this woman who had seven demons cast out of her. Some would speculate the lady there crying was Mary Magdalene, and that's why she was weeping and crying and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. And the other one was uh, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, whoever this is, but check this out. She's Herod's steward. So this lady, she was sitting down there working in Herod's household. And Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance. So Jesus has, if you would, check this out, an entourage of rich women that follow him around. <clears throat> Some are poor and prostitutes, but he's also, he's got one of Herod's steward, uh, uh, what is it, a steward, I guess that would make her a stewardess, Right? And somebody that works in Herod's household, she's grabbing Herod's cash. And she's saying, I can take some of Herod's cash and give it to Jesus. Now, here's poor Jesus. He's going, man, I'm walking through town. We've got to pay the bills part of life. And I'm sure he's going, you know, look, look where money comes from. <laughs> you, ever, you go, you figure I could have John the Baptist, right? He'd be out there. He'd be my right-hand guy. He should be making some donations to the Jesus Fund. And he's turning around and he's looking at, look at my list of contributors. I've got some women over here. And this lady's over here taking Herod's money. You can just see poor Herod like, you know, I wanted to kill this when he was a kid, you know. And then it's another different Herod for what's going on. But he's going, here's political money, if you would, right, where Jesus or John the Baptist was, was preaching against Herod and then Herodias, which was the gal, and Philip, Herod's brother. And now John the Baptist is out there ripping this apart while this man Herod has one of his women is taking all of her money and giving it to Jesus. <laughs> so check this out. Jesus is going... Ain't it amazing where money comes from? Who would ever thought that this is where, this is what's providing? Now, for you and I, we can turn around and look at ourselves, and we look at the world, and you go, you know, I have a certain level of expectation on who's going to be my friend and who's going to stand right next to me. And the truth of the matter is, sometimes support comes to you in the strangest, most offhand ways. People that appreciate you. People that you would never expect in a million years are the ones that support you. And through this message, you're going to find out the people that you do expect to support you, the guy that was out there screaming, this is the Son of God, he's the one crumbling and folding, and he's not there in the end for Jesus. And I could just see Jesus going, oh, you know. And, and, and you and I, we have to sometimes go through life, and we have, well, I'm sure this is my friend. He's going to be there for me, and they crumble. 
And, and love and support comes from people that you would never guess or never understand. And it, and it always amazes me what, what the strength of our church has been. You think, well, we can get some men, we'll get this together. This. Sometimes it's the sweet little old lady that comes up and supports the most. Sometimes it's somebody who tirelessly cleans and gives and shares and cooks and prepares and gives out of all that they have. And what we need to learn from is this message is to say, I'm going to keep my eyes on God. I don't know what's going to happen to me, and I don't know who's going to support me, but I do know that the Lord's going to provide. And I want to get through this life, and what I can do is always be indebted to God, recognize that relationship. I can have peace in my heart, and I know that God can provide out of any nook, any cranny, any which direction He wants, but He sees me and He'll take care. And I love this. So for you and I, we need to turn around and to say, Lord, I want to be a giver, right, and contribute. And I don't want to be the one that's giving up. So you can be a giver or be the guy who gives up. And at which point we want to be able to say, Lord, I want to give. I want to share all that I have. I wish I could be like that lady that just cries and cries and to be thankful. And if you don't have a thankful heart here today, you're blind to something in your life. If you're coming to before God grumpy, miserable, and making demands, if you're sitting here today saying, I don't know if I could worship this God. This God hasn't done me right. My mother died. This happened. Blah, 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 blah. Of course mothers die. They all die. And, and who are we to say that we may not have the best lot in life, but if we could turn around and say, Lord, you don't go by the tune I play. I, I want to start to listen to what you say. And if you say that I'm, I'm, I'm lost without you, then I need you in my life today, and I'm thankful for what you've done, and I want to pour forth my life and abundantly give back. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's uh, stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we as a church, as a church, Father, want to be able to say thank you. You have abundantly provided for us. Your provision has come from strange corners and strange places, but you have provided. Father, I pray that we would keep from stumbling over you, that we wouldn't be offended by the things that you're doing, that we would be a patient people, that we would be long-suffering, and that we'd be a thankful people for all the love that you have poured out upon us, Father. Father, this shakes at our very core to see that John, the greatest that the human race has, can stumble and fail. All of us, Father, have had our doubts. All of us, Father, have wavered like that reed in the wind. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us so that we could be be stronger, so that we would be committed, that we would be the servants that you'd have us to be, Father, and that we would know what true joy is. Father, fill that gap in our life so that we're not miserable, but we have a sense of satisfaction. Heal us, Father. Touch us. Open our eyes, Father, so that we can see your plan and your process. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.